So today I am talking with Ben, who is a psychology student at Queensland's University of Technology, and he is also the founder of Mata Athletica, which is a platform aimed at bridging the gap between psychology and elite performance. So Ben talks to athletes to uncover the complexity of high level human performance and distill lessons that we can implement in our own lives. So today we thought we'd have a little bit of a chat about psychology, philosophy, goal setting, meanings. And I thought I would get Ben on to start talking about how we can kind of come up with a meaningful goal and then how we can achieve that goal. So Ben, would you like to start just by telling us a little bit about what it is that you study and then also what it is that you are trying to do with Mata Athletica? Yeah, awesome. Um, so as Shannon said, I'm Ben Mayfield-Smith. I'm currently a student at uh, Queensland University of Technology, I'm studying majoring in uh, behavioral science or psychology. Um, the reason why I started Matter Athletica is I've always had a sort of innate desire to understand performance and uh, high level results that I've never been able to achieve or perhaps I've, I could work towards. Um, and one of the things I started finding was that people tend to separate themselves from uh, sort, of, sort of like A and B, where B is the, the ultimate performer and, and they can't reach it. And therefore, you know, it's like this massive gap between us. And A might be just general population and, and therefore they think that um, kind of like it's out of their reach and therefore they shouldn't strive or aim for it. But the more I started reading philosophy, psychology, the more I started understanding my own head and being able to articulate my thoughts was that not, there were people who thought this way, but there wasn't enough people thinking that they could achieve more. And instead of, you know, a lot of the times we look at the bell curve and look who's in it and that sort of thing. And I thought, well, there's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be more to the people who are achieving these things and what we can learn from them. And so with Matter, I, I thought, the best possible thing to do for me is start getting into the heads of the people who are achieving, who are going the direction of achieving and trying to achieve great things, whether they do or not, it's irrelevant. The fact is they're trying and see what we can take from that and start applying to people that uh, can either better themselves, better their position, change their entire mindset about what's possible. Um, because reality, if, it's humanly possible. It should be in our grasp to achieve. And simply because, uh, you know, some freak of nature may achieve something doesn't mean that you can't take what they've learned or take what they've done or thought and apply it to yourself and at least get better in some way. And my understanding was, was kind of leading towards the fact that there is the information there, but in most, like most cases with literature, when there isn't a sort of moderator or commonality between the two, is people lose interest in trying to find their own research. And that's where I sort of came with matter is that I want to take this information, these athletes, their heads, the brains, the mindsets, the philosophy, and kind of be the middleman or the bridge between them and just society and these people who can potentially or have the potential to be more but don't aim for it and that's kind of where i ended up with um implementing this like the education i've had so far with psychology my own personal research and reading and the whole purpose of matter yeah i really love that and through your interviews so far have you kind of gained any insight into why you think some people do set these high level goals and why others believe that or don't even consider it because it's, they don't think it's something that they can achieve. 
it's there's been a few been a few uh, commonalities, but also a few differing depending on the person. Um, some of them are kind of like almost uh, childhood traumatic. Um, you know being told they weren't good enough or unachievable when they were young or, or that something was sort of drilled into them that, you know, success only came with this sort of outcome. Um, and there were, there was ones that simply shifted mindset via a catalyst of some sort uh, throughout life that sort of triggered them that this is what I want to do now. And this is sort of how I go about doing it. Um, it seems to me that there is obviously still a, a commonality trait between them that um, competitiveness, uh, conscientiousness, this obsessive like factor starts to become a common trait between all of them, whether they realize it or not. Um, the fact is that they're these high performing athletes or even not so much high performing, just high, highly driven, highly focused or obsessive athletes. And that tends to start be what I'm seeing as kind of the successful ones. Um, and that's an interesting thing to think about because we so often relish the idea to say, hey, be obsessive or be completely focused or be, you know, entwined with your goals to the point that it's consuming because people kind of get scared of that. And to see that it's kind of the opposite in terms of what's necessary for achievement or to the, the degree that they're aiming for is um, kind of mind boggling to me and really just makes me want to learn more. Yeah, yeah, I think it is really interesting, especially considering, as you say, that there are a lot of other factors that go into conditioning someone to even um, consider possibilities that, that may or may not be achievable. Because as you said, like given you know, if something is humanly possible, then it should be within our, our reach. So if we can at least operate with that assumption that these things that other people are doing, well, maybe there's something that I need to learn, but it's not out of reach for me to want to achieve these similar, you know, high level or, or even not the same kind of goals, but at least pushing yourself to achieve more. So with that in mind, would you like to speak to some, a bit more about some of these influences that we have and how we, you mentioned the distinction between the first self and the, the second self before we hopped on the, the call. So would you like to touch to that, given that, as I say, there's, there's these other influences in our life, but we we can achieve certain things so how can we make that that jump it's an interesting one that i sort of i came across um this topic and obviously i'm by no means an expert and my i aim to always be further learning um and what i came across it was kind of like mind-boggling to me is that where the moment someone sort of shifts their their attitude their belief their opinion starts to encompass another stage almost like I want to say mental evolution or philosophical evolution in their own thought process compared to where they were. And that's kind of what's necessary to get to where they want to go. So when we, when we look at the, the first self and who the first person is and who you are now, um, it's almost like this is the person that's been dictated to you by society that you have to be, or this has been the person that may even be dictated by parents, culture, um, finances, economics, employment, your, nation of birth or origin, uh, all these things start to play on what you think is possible and what you think you're capable of based on social and uh, financial economic circumstances, things like that. And so then we get, we get sort of echo chambered into this, this almost belief that that's all you're able to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm poor and lower class and I'm, you know, of this descent or of this sexuality or this, and therefore I must be stuck here and I'll, I'll do okay in this position, but you know, that's all I'm limited to. And, it's when the shift starts to develop 
that I guess you you kind of start to see differently or you, there, there's some usually it seems to be some sort of catalyst that occurs where you can start to see things almost you start to unlock or start to see the potential that you have outside of those factors and that's within your control that you can start shifting towards the second self and start to aim at almost redefining who you are, what you're capable of, what your potential is and what your purpose may actually be. And from that, we start to get towards, right, well, even if, I, if, if I'm stuck in A, but I want to get to B, that in a very essence can become my goal. If you don't have a goal, if you don't have any sort of outcome, but you want to be better than your environment or all these circumstances, the, the kind of basic goal would then become, all right, well, how do I become my second self? How do I become that evolutionary stage of mental thought process and uh, direction and goal? And how do I become that? And that can just become just the sort of baseline goal that you have. Mm. I find this distinction between the first and second self really interesting because I think on the whole, most people tend not to realize just how kind of conditioned we are. If you think about how we understand the world, like most of our understanding comes from secondhand accounts of the world, you know, like my, my own perspective, my firsthand experiences contribute a very small um, proportion of my understanding. Like, for example, I only know that Africa exists because I've learned about it. I've never been there, never seen it. Like, I just know that it's there because of other accounts of the world. And when you think about um, all these influences, education, society, friendships, like interpersonal relationships, um, that has a huge impact on the person that you currently are. But it, but we also have the capacity to change. And these could be like positive or negative influences as well. So with this distinction between the first and second self, the first self being the person you currently are and the second self being the person that you would like to be, how do we even become to, or how do we even come to construct a second self? So how do we decide what, what's important to us and how do we set a goal that is actually meaningful to us? Well, I think herein lies almost the biggest question of the herd society is that, you know, as we said prior to this uh, in the last meeting we had was if you were to take every individual person and I would, I would be dumbfounded to find this not the case. And by all means, it's an anecdotal opinion. I'm not saying that this is a fact that I can find anywhere yet, but I would almost be willing to research it. Um, if you were to take every individual person and say, all right, I want you to write down what you would love to achieve in life, that the day you reach your deathbed, what is going to be the thing that you would say, you know, that completes me. I was fulfilled. I had lived to my ultimate potential and lived up to everything I would possibly want. There would be some absolutely extreme, crazy ideas in there that people would, you know, they would almost cringe at the idea of telling someone else, especially, especially immediate friends or family or stuff that they think they'll be ridiculed for. You take those same people and put them into a collective or a group or a social environment and I can almost promise you those goals or those almost the articulation of those goals become so much more simplistic and narrow and within the sort of expectations of what a person might actually be able to achieve. And I think that is scary and very limiting, but it's also a key way where it's kind of like, uh, you know, we know that isolation in whole is bad obviously for mental development and, and everything that we are social creatures but it also shows that introspection and isolation of the self for a period of time is almost necessary for evolution if you're to think about mental development 
and to be able to think this way that you know removal of social inputs or outside inputs or economic inputs and you just sit with yourself and think what is rather than what would make me happy um, or what would make me feel good at the time that single pleasure or a single moment pleasure if you were to think of perhaps on your own what would be the most pur purposeful fulfilling thing that you could do in your lifetime that you feel that you can do and you write that down regardless of anyone else seeing it regardless of having someone around that would judge you for it whether it's said out loud or not just writing it down there is no single reason you then can't start implementing systems habits procedures that can start moving towards that goal yes there are restrictions yes there are limits there's factors that will come into play but there is nothing that will stop you at least moving in that direction and at least getting the ball rolling onto something more meaningful to you than what society says that you should aim for. And I, I personally have found that I could almost say that you've probably found that too, but uh, when it's said out loud, I have noticeably felt that over the last five years, just the last five years of my life um, and being able to, create the environment that I want to be in, to be able to create the circle that I want around me, to be able to create the people that I want around me um, to get to where I want to go has been life-changing just in such a, a short time frame of what we have as existence. Um, and so that, that I think is at least a place we can start to build at least a general understanding of what we may actually want and what we're actually capable of. So if you remove the idea that there's a limit, if you remove the any, you remove the idea of failure, of, of non-achievement, and you just say what it is that you want to do, that's at least a start. I think that is a an introspective, uh, personal, isolated starting point to at least get it moving. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, introspection and also the removal of boundaries is something that is really important just to give yourself that freedom to at least explore ideas that could be meaningful and you know possible for you. I think one question that I asked myself a very long time ago was things like, you know, what would you do if you could not fail? Or when it came to career choices, like if money wasn't a problem and you were totally secure, what would you actually want to spend your day doing each day? You know, these questions were the, the types of questions that I used to at least give myself some sort of idea as to what I wanted to do with my life and with my day. Why is it, do you think, that when we are in a group that we do set those boundaries on ourselves? Is it kind of, you know, some kind of defensive, adaptive mechanism that we don't want to be ostracized, so that wouldn't have been very helpful? back in the day is that kind of why we do it yeah i i genuinely think it's it's almost a survivability mechanism in a way um and it may be something to, to think out now or, or perhaps in the future but it's a, an idea that we don't want to you know we are social creatures and we are we do like to be a part of something more collective and that seems to be consistent across history we've very much been socially reliable sort of people but we're also scared and we're also, uh, I guess, fearful of being, as you said, ostracized or excluded or kept outside the herd and the group because it's safe there. The collective is secure. We know that we fit and we belong um, when we stick to the plan and we stick to the kind of like the moral, ethical, structural guidelines we know we fit in. And 
obviously, you know, you, you hear how many times when someone had a different identity to perhaps the, the main group or the main body that they were uh, ridiculed, made fun of, bullied, picked on. And that's been, you know, the same way almost across history. You look at creative artists, you look at creative, uh, thoughtful, successful, rich people. They're the first ones to get mocked or ridiculed or, or broken down or, or looked at for, um, you know, television, media, radio, whatever it is, they'll, they get blasted on. Um, and yet they're the ones doing, we're mocking the ones who are actively doing whether or not it's something we believe necessary or whether it's something that, that we believe they should be good at, or, you know, people always have opinions on someone's talent or ability. The fact is they're doing and succeeding and the collective seems to be rather mocking that. And I think we may, we may see that when we're inside the herd and go, oh, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be, you know, sort of transcend the environment I'm in that's safe and I'm not being mocked and I have my circle that's safe and, you know, we go out and drink and what, what have you deep down that person or the individual may want to be that person, but are scared of being that person and being in the spotlight or being away from the, the safe narrative. And that kind of limits their desire to push the boundary, whether they want to or not. Um, and I think, as I said before, you ask a lot of people, I would, I'll be reluctant to believe that majority of people don't have far crazier goals and they're willing to say out loud. But again, they start to say it out loud and it's almost like, you can't do that. That's crazy. Well, you can't do that. That's like, that requires this much time or money or, you know, you've only got one life. So you may as well just be happy and all those sort of quotes that come up. I mean, sure, that's fine. But is that what we evolved a hundred thousand years of evolution and development to do? is just be fine and just be there um, and just exist. I don't think so. I think that's gonna be like part of why I find these athletes and these, these people achieving so fascinating because short of all ridicule and mocking and, and taking the piss and, and arguments and or whatever else, they're still doing. And it's almost like counterintuitive to survival and um, you know the old Frankenstein being chased out of town for being different. It's, sort of different to that tale, but they're still doing it. And I find that so fascinating and there has to be something to it that can get other people to start to realize it's okay and possible to not just dream, but actually act on. Um, I had a really awesome conversation with um, Dalton, as you know, Dalton. Um, and he said to me the other day, he's like, I'm going to break you a little bit and tell you that no thought that you have now will ever be a kind of like a revelation thought nothing that you're thinking to think of is going to be a revolutionary thought process or some crazy new idea. We've had a hundred thousand years of cognitive development that someone's had your thought previously. The difference is action. And, you know, anyone can have any thought in the world. Like, you know, I thought of Uber, I thought of uh, Google, I thought of Amazon, but I never did it. And then we choose to make fun of the person who did do it. And reality is we should be studying the person that did it, not mocking them. And I think that's where we start to find Okay, so how do we get more purpose, more meaningful uh, kind of direction out of life instead of choosing to make fun of them and say they're crazy or beyond reason or beyond reach or they're obsessive? We go, all right, cool. What, what did they do? How did they get that way? What is it about them that makes them successful and what traits can we take and apply to the herd of people and start to lift society in expectation, potential, behavior, choices? Uh, I mean, not everyone has to be that way, but does do you uh, per se want to spend every weekend doing the same old thing, getting the same old drinks, getting the same old bar with the same old friends. And you may actually find that you don't really enjoy their company or you don't really uh, enjoy that location. 
but you're doing it because you fit in. And that's, that's scary to me. And I think something that I, I really want to push people to break past. You've touched on a lot of really interesting points. I think, um, as you say, fear is something that plays a major role in all of this and our need for safety and not just physical safety either, but psychological safety. Mm. So we want to fit in with the herd because that's what makes us feel secure. Um, and that's distinct from having a house, you know, and having food to eat. Like that psychological safety is something that we seek and I think can be quite limiting in a, in a certain um, sense. I also think that it's not just a fear of um, you know safety or unsafety it's also about being or it's also a fear of uncertainty so if we're following the herd we're like okay if I do this this and this if I jump through these hoops my career plan my life plan is all set out for me I'm going to have a car I'm going to have a house like it's all predictable and it's safe and that's okay and I think that's it's the considering oh what if I didn't do this what if I didn't do what was expected of me what if I actually followed what I was interested in well I might fail I, I'm not sure that this will, will work and I think that kind of fear also holds people back but there are, as you've mentioned, these people who who don't or probably do experience the same fears, but don't let it hold them back and they do take action. And I love that you had that conversation with Dalton, because that's something that I've considered before. And that was actually a fear. Well, something that popped into my head. I was like, damn, what if every thought I've ever had is not like it has nothing yeah. to do with me? It's just everyone's already thought these things. <laughs> what is the point yeah. then? And then I was thinking yeah. maybe it's the... Um, maybe it's not the thoughts in themselves that are, are unique or even valuable, but it's the synthesis of differences as well. Putting, you know, pulling thoughts from different people and putting them together in a new context. And then as you mentioned, actually taking action on those thoughts once you've had them. So say that we've got someone who has had a um, period of introspection. They think, oh, actually, because like you say, most people probably do have a little bit of a sense of what they would like to change or something that they would like to achieve if they had the possibility of doing so or the opportunity for mm -hmm. it. So let's assume that we've got someone who knows what it is that they want or at least has a general sense of direction. Now, what's the next step? What do they have to do once they've got a, a goal that they would like to achieve? How do they go about achieving it? It comes down to a few things. So we've got we've got the the at least the direction and the purpose. We've got sort of an idea of where they'd like to go. But then we have to start understanding why they want to go there. Um, I think that's where we start to get to um, emotional connection because it gets very fleeting if someone just says, "I want to do this because it's going to make me feel happy." Uh, you know, I want to do this because it's going to make me feel good. If that's all we're basing it on, then the minute you feel sad, unhappy, crappy, had a bad day, you're stressed or life doesn't go to plan anymore and everything sort of goes to crap. Are you then going to still pursue it because you don't want, you no longer feel happy or you're no longer there or you're no longer interested. If the connection runs deeper than that, which it should, then we can start getting a real understanding of why and why becomes a lot more important. And then once, once there's sort of a, a why to the, to the how, how probably the better description you can then really start to guide and shift life in the direction of what it's at least going to take you to so that I think the emotional connection has to come first. Like, uh, you know, it took a lot for me to sort of introspectively really break down my purpose and my why, um, what my outcomes were and that sort of thing. But once I did, um, there was kind of no stopping. 
And I think that then starts to develop intrinsic motivation, intrinsic drive to achieve them as opposed to extrinsic motivation, which we know is very fleeting and very, you know, short sighted, I guess would be the best use of the word. Um, but I think once we have that emotional connection, we have them, we've got the purpose, we have the, uh, at least some sort of goal or outcome we'd like to achieve. We have an emotional attachment to what that is. And we can start to work on anchoring that we can start to really start really get a visualization of what that looks like. I think that's important. It's like, one of the key aspects I've taken from almost every athlete so far is that not only do they have the purpose, the why, the goal, they have the foresight and the ability to literally see themselves holding the trophy, smelling the trophy, hearing the crowd, seeing the audience, like whatever you know, sport arena or field it is, it's a mental connection then to what to come, not just where they are now. And that becomes... Uh, almost like a necessity in and of itself is that you have to be able to see not only, not only think about what it is you want, um, but to really, to really anchor yourself to that path and to that goal and to that direction um, to really persevere out of that is seeing, smelling, hearing the sound, everything, the mid, like that, that feeling of accomplishment and when you actually achieve it. And I think those two things sort of come next is, right, you've got the purpose, you've got the why, um, you know, we've got at least some sort of goal. Now we started to work on the emotional reason you have that goal and what's deeper than that. You know, we might say you, you would know as a coach, someone says, oh, I want to lose five kilos. And you go, okay, five kilos isn't a deep enough reason or a deep enough goal that we're actually going to sustain that. Chances are your friends come up to you and say, I want to go out for the weekend. If you only say, oh, I just want to lose five kilos, you're going to go. And that's where you know, we start to get a little bit more emotionally depth, emotional depth to our goals and we go, all right, why do you want to lose five kilos? Well, you know, I feel really crappy about myself. I don't like my appearance. Um, you know, I've been ridiculed in the past or I've got body dysmorphia issues or I've got this and that. Um, and we start to really get deeper into what the goal is. And we're like, all right, so we're going to go way deeper than that. We're going to start to work on entire behavior changes. We'll start working on lifestyle factors. Like everything starts to shift because that isn't actually the real goal. So I think once we have that emotional connection, we at least have three prongs to work with. We've got the purpose, the why, the emotional connection, and then we can start to see it all take place. We can start that we, we see what that looks like. We see where we end up and we're like, all right, cool. You know, my, I know my friends or, you know, I've seen someone on TV run a successful business. They've got the car, the yacht, blah, blah, blah. But you can at least get an idea then what that future looks like or where it is exactly you want to go. I think that starts to create that fourth prong that you really are narrowing in on that goal. Now you're, you're setting up that thing that is a little bit deeper than a smart goal. It's a little bit deeper than just a sort of a short term goal. It's a little bit deeper than, uh, you know, I'm going to lose X amount or I want to make X amount of money. And that's where I think we start at least taking shape and moving in the direction of that, out, that, that outcome or, or end goal. Yeah. I really do think that having that deeper meaning and purpose is key because as you touched on, you know, achieving any kind of significant goal there are going to be moments where you have to do things that you don't want to do like you don't feel like doing or that may not even be pleasant 
you know, studying for an exam, that's not particularly enjoyable, but it's a necessary part of achieving a degree that we've set out to achieve or even things like childbirth. Most women would probably agree that giving birth isn't fun and nobody really enjoys it, but it's very meaningful <laughs> for them. You know, it's not something that brings them happiness in the moment, but it's very meaningful and they have a purpose behind it. And I think that's key because as, as we said, like achieving any sort of goal, it's not going to be fun all the way. But you've also touched on the difference between um, like different stages of motivation. And I do find that in order to initiate action, having some kind of extrinsic reward isn't always inherently a bad thing. And a lot of people client wise, like if we're putting this into the context of coaching for nutrition or performance, a lot of people will start off with some kind of external reason for, for doing something that may not be, as you say, meaningful, meaningful. And I think that's fine. We can meet people where they are, but in order to foster yep. long lasting change, we want to make that shift towards intrinsic motivation. So as you say, questioning the deeper why and something that I find really valuable for, for clients is to consider again, why it is that, say weight loss why is it that losing x amount of weight is something that you want to achieve and as you say it's usually oh you know well i'd like to feel better about myself okay so, so why is that and what will be different about your life if you achieve that and it's not always it doesn't always just come down to oh you know i want to i want to fit in with my friends or i feel like i'd be more attractive to a partner if i looked a bit better um a lot of the time it comes down to some deeper meanings like you know well actually just taking care of myself and being healthy is something that's really important because that allows me to live my life and achieve all of these other things that are important to me mm -hmm. or i want to be a good role model for my kids something like that Huge one. Mm. and so with that do you think that having a goal or a purpose that is tied to other people so something that you can contribute to others rather than just something that you do for yourself do you find that there's any kind of distinction there between the lengths that people are willing to go to when the goal involves other people so say in the context of elite performance it could be oh i want to achieve this i want to win this um, specific event so that i can set a good example or inspire these other people rather than i just want that trophy for myself like is there any kind of difference there i think it's an interesting one and uh, contrary to probably what a lot of people might want to hear um I think when it comes to such high levels, like for instance, we talk about say Michael Jordan, his game really shifted when he started playing for the team, but his goal was to win. And so it's kind of like almost as if one is carried by the other. And that when we start to realize, especially team sports or social, those sort of environments, especially high end is that you can be the greatest, but you also need to have others around you that are as good in the areas you're not. Um, and so that, that I think it was the 92 season they touched on in the last dance is where Michael shifted from being the player of the bulls and started being the leader of the bulls. And I think that was a huge distinction and, and shift in his mindset didn't change. He still wanted to win at all costs. He wanted to win. He was going to get a trophy no matter what. And that, can be very selfish. Yes, that can be very um, you know, self-absorbed or arrogant, however anyone wants to say it. But in doing so, once he then also shifted and went, right, he realized sort of, okay, for me to get that win, I also need others to want to get that win. And I also need others to want to get to that level. And I also need players around me that can, I can't be six players on a court, no matter how good I am. Um, 
And so the other five players on the court need to be uh, filling the spots that I, I lack and being able to bounce off me in a position that will allow us to all win. So it was kind of like, you know, Jordan was at this level and he was sort of playing and keeping his team sort of at this level. But once he realized as a leader that the idea was to bring them up and make sort of everyone else around him perform better, that he could then excel his game and perform even better. And so it's kind of like, yes, there's a distinction, but in a team sport environment, perhaps his goal to be the best started becoming dependent on the fact that he had better players around him as well. And so it almost became entwined that for him to be number one and him to get that win and be um, confident and uh, sure of himself and egotistical and, you know, a lot of the negatives that go with MJ, um, I find it fascinating personally, um, is that it kind of forced those around him to uplift as well. And they talk about it all the time in his training videos and like the interviews and stuff was that, um, you know, yes, Michael was hard. And yes, he was a, a sort of an ass to be around or be led by, but uh, people wanted to be, you know, the caption, the caption goes, people want to be like Mike. They don't want to be liked by Mike. So, you know, that's kind of where it, it goes then is that, um, you know, if he's, if he's helping the team get up and improving those around him by being his best self and then also allowing himself to be better and encouraging others to do the same thing, you, you can almost scale that and go, all right, well, if let's say, there's, you know, they're, they're as good. Sure. They've got their traits and skills that Michael doesn't have. And so they're okay. If he's just doing it for him and just doing it to win and, and nothing else, he's still pretty good. Like he's pretty amazing. But the second he switched that gear and went, all right, I'm, I'm the leader of the bulls. Now I'm playing for this team and this team is going to help me win. And so it's kind of entwined then. Well, then they lift up, he lifts up and everyone as a collective in that team then wins the trophy six times in 10 years. So it's kind of like, okay, let's scale that and look at society. If individually each person then, yes, they do it for themselves and they aim to peak their potential and be the best possible self they can be. That would then, it would be theoretically logical that those around you then start to recognize that potential and go, well, if he's being his best or she's being his best, why can't I be my best? Like I've only got people around me succeeding. I, want to be the, I don't want to be the only person losing. And so that's, that's kind of where I think that goes is that what well, was, yes, it's very intrinsic self-absorbed direction. Perhaps Michael went down just to keep using him as an example, but in doing so he realized that for him to get even better and him to scale his skill required those around him to also be better and be good and be the best they can be. And then in turn, they just all lifted together. Yes. Michael was still the greatest of all time, but by all means, those around him got a hell of a lot better. Mm. I think um, that's something that I thought about a lot is kind of the role of social support when it comes to achieving a goal. So again, in the context of coaching, if you know that someone's got a supportive family environment, they're probably going to be better off with achieving their goal. And I've also thought about, you know, when does self-development become selfish and self-centered versus, you know, what there is some degree of that kind of is necessary as well. And I mm -hmm. think if you've got a, a meaningful goal, 
understanding the boundaries that you may need to put in place that may be considered selfish is quite important, but also not going down the fully independent route and actually recognizing the importance of interdependence, which involves, you know, other people and understanding that you have something that you can offer other people and they also have something to offer you in return. So we can always learn from other people and we can always support others and receive support from others. And that I think is really important to achieving said goals so with that knowing that some sort of I don't I don't know if we can should call it selfishness but some sort of um, you need to prioritize certain things at the expense of others so you know, we could just use the example of you can't pour from an empty cup like that's something that most people may be familiar with you have to look after yourself before you can look after others mm-hmm. what's, what's the example in the airplane you have to put on your your mask before you can help someone else or something like yeah. so you have to prioritize certain things in order to achieve your goals and hopefully these goals do involve helping others you know anyway so how do we know when a sacrifice is worth it like what restrictions do we need to put in place and when can we rely on others like what's the the boundary there i think the first thing is sort of creating the understanding of a almost like a hierarchy of of priorities um essentially that might be the the simplest way to put it is that um creating that that hierarchy of what sits at most important and what you need to be able to do before you can do things for others um you know i i can't i can't help people perform the best until i get to the degree that i'm qualified and educated and can master in something and get that qualification um and so if i start diverse diversifying myself amongst all these people now when i'm really not enough educated and qualified i'm going to limit my ability to focus on qualification and education so it's kind of like, as Arnie always says, give back. Rule number five, I think he, is, he says, is always give back. And I think life is all about, to me, life is about finding a purpose and aiming life in that direction. But the, 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 the whole thing is that through human evolution and the success of culture and society is that we pass those things down to who comes next. And so whether that be scientific progress, information, religion, culture, society, language, everything seems to get passed down. And I think that's where we kind of have that, uh, I guess, an ability, ability, um, what's the need we have to almost is pass what we've learned or what we have been able to grow and develop into and pass it down to what comes next. So they have a better platform to stand on after us. Um, and I think that is, is in essence, a, a huge part of the, the, the hierarchy of priorities is that you have to build yourself up first. Um, uh, sorry, the ramble on a little bit there, uh, but to, to kind of build yourself up first to the position that you can offer help to others. And then we can start looking at, you know, how much you can give back and what you're capable of and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's, I would say, and we've had this discussion, it would be completely selfish to say, I want to be rich because I want money to buy everything in the world for just me. If you were to say, I want to make money because with money, I have the power and potential to put man on the moon or put, you know, X on Mars, or I can start to work on, um, you know, funding private enterprise to fight germs and disease and uh, sanitation and hydration in places that don't have access to that. Well, they're two very different things. Both want to be rich, but two of very different outcomes. And I think society is going to accept one over the other. 
And I think that's, that's kind of uh, not so much a restriction, but it's almost like a, um, a, at least a guide to aim for in terms of that sort of thing. But as you're saying, in terms of getting to a sort of restrictions, um, you kind of have to be able to tell people a no is that you're, you know, it can't be selfish for you to want to better yourself to be better. That's not selfish. That's like human progress and almost evolutionary. Like you, you have to be your best self. And if you're only around people that are sort of enabling you to be you know, drunk and party and that's it. And you know, go to work nine to five, if you're miserable in that existence, it's not selfish to say I want more than that. Like that's, that can't be considered selfish or self-absorbed or narcissistic. That's, that's you just wanting to be the best possible person you can be. And so being able to say no and having a circle or creating an environment where you're free to say no or start working on saying no, I think is very important to lay out those boundaries early on. Um, and I don't think culturally society, things like that, obviously there are a lot of people that get stuck in positions where they can't say that. And I think that's dangerous, very limiting um, to have any sort of uh, cultural hindrance on your ability to be your best possible self is scary. But obviously we know a lot of people have that and that does obviously become a, a restricting factor. Um, but yeah, I would say that's starting to at least develop the self efficacy that you can say no and be assertive about that. And that you, when you say no, it means no, but it's not no as in I'm only doing this for me. So go F off. It's I'm doing this for me to be better for the fact that I can better other people. And I think that becomes very powerful. Yeah, I think bringing it back to your your meaning and your purpose will really help you to set those boundaries. And I like the example that you gave with studying, because that's something that I've considered recently. Like, how can I set up my week so that I can serve the people that I'm currently working with, but also better myself so that I can provide a better service and also help mm. more people? in the future so that's something that i've um, been considering a lot and how can i structure my weeks so i do have time for studies because i'll have studies coming up in september that i need to to work on and that's not me saying no i don't want to work with you right now because i just don't want to help it's like actually i just yeah. don't i've only got x amount of time for this one thing x amount of time for this one thing and breaking those boundaries down is much more oh it's easier to do that when you keep your your meaning and your purpose in mind so i think that's really important and I also think that I love I love that motto of give back. And I kind of wish that many more of us were, were living by that because currently on the whole, we're, I feel like we're taking the piss a little bit. If you think about what we're doing to the planet, you know, acting as if it's going to be around forever when that's not really the case. And that's not kind of how, how we're, you know, going about things at the moment. And how, as you mentioned, that we're, we're living now in an environment that has been built, you know, like many people have come before us and built us up and things are better than ever, but we're, we've also got mm -hmm. kind of more dangers or the power that we've got right now swings both ways. So we're actually in a far more prosperous environment than we've ever been, but we've also got greater risks involved with that. And I feel like it's incumbent upon us or those of us who are in the position where we are, you know, fairly secure in that our life's not in danger right now um to kind of continue on with giving back and pushing forward because otherwise it's kind of like a slap in the face to everyone that's ever come before you you know bearing in mind that we're we're relying on the the progression of society to to live in the place that we are now and we're 
taking the piss or as i say slapping those people in the mm-hmm. face by saying oh thanks for that thanks for all of your contributions but we're done now we're just going to enjoy everything yeah. you've built for us and not consider the people that are coming you know ahead of us we're very good at you know if, if you saw someone right now being attacked or whatever you would feel affronted and you would probably want to help knowing the kind of person that you are but we don't necessarily make that connection between i think there's like people we're very much we can think about the people that are in our immediate environment and people that we can see but we can't think about people on the other side of the world or when we don't think about people um in the years to come like if you're willing to protect someone that you know you see on the street being attacked then you should be willing to protect someone on the other side of the world and willing to protect someone in years to come and if we're acting under that uh, with that motto of giving back and thinking about that and thinking about how we are grateful you know being grateful for the progress that has already been achieved and i think that again gives you the push to continue moving forward and to have that kind of optimism and feel that that drive like oh actually i'm kind of obliged i have a duty to want to be the the best that i can be not for myself but for the people that have come before me and for the people that are to come ahead of me as well like that is my duty to do that otherwise what am i i'm just taking the piss out of everyone (laughs) that's kind of how how i view it um so we've said that it's okay to want to expect more of yourself not for yourself but for other people and we've spoken about the importance of meaning would you like to now touch on um the role of philosophy that has had to play in all this because we know that philosophy is something that can be fairly difficult to get into like if you you know try reading Nietzsche you don't just jump straight into his text right like (laughs) it's very it's very difficult but we also think that a lot of people would benefit from some of these philosophical teachings so would you like to say uh, speak to the role that philosophy has had to play in your understanding of meaning and and goal setting yeah absolutely um one of the one of the most powerful things I've found with philosophy is that it's thought provoking in its most basic sense. It's just, it's grasping at theories, ideas, concepts that are beyond a basic existence and understanding. And it it sparks thought about why something is or isn't, or why we're doing something or doing something not. Um, It just, it creates a, an idea that has to be thought about. And for me, that's, powerful in a society where thought is so few and far between and i don't mean thought as in like oh you know i've got an itchy back i'm gonna scratch my back i mean thought that is kind of that deep why are we here what am i doing what's the purpose to me being here how can i make the most of that purpose um you know that starts to shift when you start having those thoughts they don't stop and it's kind of like an enlightenment in, in the self or the mind that, yes, it's scary. Once you start having these thoughts, I can almost assure that you won't be complacent or content ever again, because it's scary to dive into those rabbit holes and start to ask these questions of A, yourself, B, civilization and society and see the world really. Um, but it means you start to get a deeper appreciation of anything and everything and a deeper context to any idea you may have um, and it starts to spark thought that goes deeper than just conscious thinking. You know, you start to really introspect and look inwards and start to 
even if you can't find the answer, you at least start to contend with the answer or someone else's explanation of the answer. And by no means, you know, I, I always love referencing Peterson, right? but I also find counter arguments to Peterson or find people who oppose his arguments. So I get a, a best of both worlds in terms of the philosophy and the psychology and the cognition that they, they go into. And it sparks thought. And I think that's, one of the things that Nietzsche touches on, and by no means have I nailed every part of Nietzsche, I'm not even close. That is years of reading and work that I intend to do and by all means love, have loved doing so far. But he, he speaks to this, this person, the last man. This is one of my favorite, like favorite parts of him is in Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Um, it's one of his most powerful writings, I think, because it's so relevant to society uh, between the, the Superman and the last man. And the last man is kind of like this, this person who's so entwined with, nothing kind of like the basics being average being the mean being just inside the standard and the herd being safe uh, very content and complacent and it's like once i started reading into that i was like even if i couldn't understand why or i couldn't uh sort of break down nietzsche's writing i could at least look at that relate to it and go on the worst case scenario i don't want to be that person i don't want to be the person who's a part of the herd and just doing the basics to get by and just survive. And so what's the opposite of that? Well, also in his writing and his spark of philosophy and thought is the Ubermensch and the Ultraman or Superman. And that is everything that humanity should strive to be and aim to be morally, ethically, uh, directionally, purposefully. And it's kind of like this, right, cool. He's through philosophy and through concepts and through ideas and just the ability to think you've now at least got a, what I don't want, and you've got what I could want or what I do want. And I think that's the cool thing about philosophy and philosophical thought is that even if you have such a basic goal or a basic, uh, you know, sort of expectation out of life, it's like, all right, I'm going to do nine to five and I'm going to do it through philosophy. You start to ask the question of why do I want that? Or as the, almost like the bare minimum is like, okay, so, you know, as you touched on, and I think it's a very invoking thought is, you know, we owe it to people who've come before us. I really didn't start thinking this way until my father passed away. And it was like, you know, he hasn't seen me succeed yet, really. Like I've won grand finals. I've played in multiple sports. I've, you know, chased contracts, all that jazz. But he hasn't really truly seen me succeed. And I don't want to see other people feel the way I did about knowing that I hadn't pushed myself to succeed for him. I, in front of him it's like the to know the effort and the the um sacrifices he made for me to be in the position i am it would be regardless of generations back it would just be a slap in the face to him having gone through what he did to get me to where i am and not maximize myself and i think through philosophy i was able to articulate and think of that in a much deeper sense than had i just gone oh well you know dad passed away and that's life. It happens, you know, you come and go, whatever. I think being able to sort of comprehend that and articulate that and, and think that way, it's like, all right, well, I've got, you know, let's say an average of another 50 years here. I've changed my life now drastically in three years. What the hell can I do in 50 if I make the most of every one of them? Like, you know, in the grand scheme, you know, earth's been here, what, 4.6 billion years, you know, human civilization, you know, uh, evolution, maybe a hundred thousand years of homo, homo sapiens, but let's say I'm here for 50, another 50. What can I do in that timeline or that, that spectrum to make a lasting difference or impact for the future that's to come from me? 
because I know where I've come from and I'll be able to think and articulate that philosophical process of like, okay, why or how or when or what have you, like those, it just gets deeper. And I think that allows a greater thought process, especially in a society where thought is so few and far between that it's almost, it almost makes philosophy necessary. And I used to think it was such a redundant sort of outdated concept, you know, Socrates and Aristotle and uh, Cicero and all this. And it was like, oh yeah, cool. Like you hear about them, they had some cool thoughts. Um, but when you actually start to dive into what those thoughts are and the fact they're still holding true today tells you how powerful thought is and the concept of philosophy and thinking becomes. Yeah completely agree like i used to think well, what's the point in just asking all these questions that nobody knows the answer to why are we just thinking about things and not actually doing anything but that's completely correct well it's actually this thought that inspires action and the fact that these ideas are so or so many people are interested in them we've been speaking about them for hundreds of years like they are important considerations that we should all have and i really like what you said about you know striving towards becoming because that's something that I've been thinking about recently is that we're always in a process of becoming because we're never done. You don't just stop. And even with the concept of the, the Ubermensch, like I'm pretty sure my limited understanding of Nietzsche, that he never said that it's something that we could achieve. It's something that we strive towards. We're never going to get there necessarily, but the whole point is the striving. And to bring it back to like what you said about your dad and how I think about in relation to my parents as well, is that I want to be able to say at any given point, because we don't know how long we're here for like yeah hopefully i'm around for at least 50 years but you never know um yeah. i just want to to be able to say well at least i made the most out of everything like i always tried mm -hmm. the most that i could it's not about achieving x y and z necessarily it's about having a general direction that you orient yourself towards and then doing the most that you can to get there it's not like oh i will be satisfied with myself when i've achieved this whatever it is this goal when i've earned this much money when i've got this property mm. in this place it's actually i can be continually satisfied but always striving for more as long as i know mm. that i'm always doing the most that i can at any given moment so i could go tomorrow and be like well at least i tried i made the most out of it and that's kind of yep. all i want to you know want to be able to, to do um so yeah i really would love it if you know philosophy became more accessible, more people were talking about it, because I do think that it's that thought that we are lacking on the whole, and it doesn't help that it's kind of a bit, you know, it's difficult to get into, it's not kind of common. Um, so we've touched on meaning, setting goals, um, the role of philosophy, and achieving, striving towards something, the process of becoming what key kind of characteristics do you find in these people who do strive towards these meaningful goals and can you speak to the importance of grit because i know that's something that we touched on in the past mm -hmm. yeah so this will definitely all, all come back into sort of not one concept but a a strong concept that sort of relates between most of it is grit is something i kind of got passed onto, but really discovered and, and started looking into a bit more um, by a, a professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania named Dr. Angela Duxworth. And the whole idea was that, you know, our, our basic understanding of success or achievement was um, the correlation between IQ or talent. And it was kind of like those two things were the dictator for whether you're going to, someone was going to succeed or be successful or achieve something great. 
she thought, well, that's, that's great, but that doesn't complete the formula. That doesn't complete the equation that isn't enough. Um, and so they started looking deeper into it and looking into the concept and the, the, the greatest difference, I guess you would say would be like effort. Um, but effort then gets broken down to so much more than that. Um, the, the, the main, I guess, you say almost five, um, characteristics that really that go into it. You start seeing passion, uh, perseverance, resilience, um, sustainability, um, and the other major one that we, I guess we could term with it, with it. We'll start with those four because it'll definitely, it'll come back to me and definitely expand, but, uh, to have passion, like to, to have, to succeed anything, you have to have passion in what you're trying to do. Like you have to have beyond interest, beyond a, a thought or a hobby. It has to be passion because passion supersedes any other form of interest when you become almost obsessive with something or, you know, inclined to need to know. And that was one of the, the major characteristics of, of grit and grit is found in most successful people is that it's passionate about the purpose, about the why, about the idea, about the thought, about what's been done previously, about the history of it, the, the future of it. Like you become almost uh, compelled by everything to when you have a passion about something. Um, you know, I, I didn't just want to be the, the, you know, know enough to pass my course or anything like that. I had to know more I had to be, you know, what's, what else is there to learn about this concept or this theory or this, or what else can I learn about bodybuilding? What else can I learn about dieting and carbohydrates and nutrition? And, um, you know, how can I become more, what other changes can I make? And it becomes consuming, but in a good way, you're, you're like, you, you enjoy the idea, but the passion takes hold and it's like ignites a flame kind of thing that you, you feel it when you're working on that thing. Um, and passion was a big one. What is, what is passion? what would you say passion is like a, a reason and a meaning passion oh god that's 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 thought provoking um <laughs> passion passion to me is a mix between obsession and joy i think that that kind of at least articulates it in a way that makes sense if you can break those two things down i feel you feel you feel those both when you have passion whether or not you act on it kind of different, but when you have passion, it's almost like a positive way of thinking about obsession. You know, like um, Michelangelo was passionate about painting. He was obsessive about painting. Uh, Mozart was like passionate about music. He was, you know, you could hear people still talk about his music now that the joy and the happiness you feel when you hear his music, you could, you could tell he was joyful about it, but you could also tell that he was obsessive. The guy was three when he started working and writing. Um, so to me, it's almost like a mixture of obsession and joy that you get towards a single thing. And that then leads into purpose. Um, uh, purpose, obviously, as we said before, having a deeper purpose makes it more easy to, sustain that goal when anything goes wrong um and you know we've already touched on purpose and we get lost there for hours but the the next thing that comes from that then the sustainability side of things is perseverance and this was the massive one she sort of spoke on was effort then you know anyone can have talent anyone can have a talent anyone can have uh iq but not everyone has resilience and not everyone has grit when you when things go to shit when things go wrong and things don't go your way and things aren't easy anymore it's 
resilience and it's grit that who has those things that tend to strive and thrive and succeed. Um, you know, to put it to a, a more modern context, Beyonce wasn't the world's best singer at three or five or 10. You know, she'd been practicing singing for how long? And even to now she's whatever age and she's still nailing songs, but she was a part of Destiny's Child at such a young age. And then before that, she was obviously a practicing singer before that to get good enough to even be considered for Destiny's Child. Sure, she recognized the talent and that is a big part of it, recognizing the talent, but also nurturing and building that talent and persevering that talent past the point of ridicule and mocking or setbacks or adversity and being able to overcome and sustain or have resilience towards where you're going. And I think that is a is a, a massive part of, of what these people have that succeed is that ability to overcome anything. Like, you know, um, as we spoke about last time as well, just to deviate a little bit, um, Shoe Knight, the, the owner of Nike, um, I can't remember exactly his name. Um, I'm sure you've got it there. Um, yeah, yeah. And he created an empire with Nike, but I believe it was 11 businesses prior to that failed. And how many people would have got to two businesses or three businesses and gone, look, I'm probably not good at business. It's just that, you know, he had the talent, he had the perseverance, he had the idea, he had the concept and he worked his way to get into the right formula to produce the success. And that's a huge, just those three things. And then the, the last one, sorry, it came back to me. The last one is a growth mindset. That's a huge one is that you can't be fixed in thinking, you know what you know, and there's nothing else to know. That is a handicap. It's a disadvantage. It's a, a setback. It's everything that could possibly be wrong about thought and uh, development and success is that you only know, you know what you know, and there is nothing else and you don't need to know anything more. And that's it. When you're locked there, it's almost game over and you should just like, you need to have a moment stop and think like someone else has to almost intervene with you because if you want to succeed and you've got a fixed mindset and that's it, well then it's yeah, basically game over. I think those four things are what constitute grit. And I think so many people either lack grit or have grit. And it is the, it's, it's the thing is too, with a growth mindset and the fact that it's a skill and a trait means grit is developable, developing and developed and potential to be better. So it's not like as if, oh, um, you know, someone's six foot five, so therefore they better be basketball. I'm not six foot five, so I can't play basketball. That's a physical restriction, obviously. But grit, it's a developmental skill that we can work on and become better at. So if that's the main, one of the main proponents of success and succeeding, then it's just telling you that success is a matter of time towards a purpose, towards a, an outcome, uh, with a passion about what you're doing and being able to ride out any storm or any, any adversity or any setback. Um, as well as I'm sure like there are definitely a few other things we can, we can break down again to as to what else constitutes success and getting there. But that grit is a, is a big part. Once I read that, I was like, wow, like that was a moment where I was like, okay, cool. We've now got grit as a, a an equation to success. We can add that to IQ and talent. And from there, you know, for however long we thought IQ and talent was it, well, now we've got grit. What else is there? What else is going to be these things we can break down from successful people? Um, and that's why I'm so intrigued by athletes' heads and like see these successfully driven people, even if they're not successful yet, I can at least follow them and see, you know, talking to them now while I'm learning means that when I know more and I'm still in touch with these people or down the track, I can go back to them and go, all right, what's changed? Are you successful now? You know, what did you get to? What did you go through? Um, 
but yeah, that's one of the cool new considerations we have for what determines success. Um, and it's such a cool thing that it's a developing skill and talent that you can work on to actually lead to success. Yeah, I, I would love to see someone update um, Duckworth's you know, view on grit from a, a philosophical perspective. Like what is the role of um, ego when it comes to a fixed mindset? You know, no, thinking that you know everything or whatever, like how does that mm -hmm. you in that sense? What is the role of non-duality when it comes to meaning? So understanding that kind of the individual self is somewhat of an illusion and, and how do you derive a, a deeper meaning um, which may come from contribution? So I think there could be a really good scope for someone to, to integrate those philosophical perspectives um, into Angela's understanding of grit and, and what that means to, to all of us. So one of the key um, characteristics you mentioned is resilience and I just want to touch on that a little bit more because as we've said that we know that achieving any high level goal there are going to be obstacles and you're probably going to fail a number of times or at least feel like you failed a number of times before seeing any kind of success so how do we cultivate resilience in someone yeah that's 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 a powerful question because people are scared of failure they're scared of losing, they're scared of coming last, they're scared of not doing the thing they've said that they're going to do. But then we also see that vo vo uh, uh, vocalizing and verbalizing a goal also leads to adherence and, and sticking to. So it's like, it's a crazy mix of the fear of failing and the fear of losing, but then the fear of the fact that you've said it out loud means that other people know and can hold you accountable. So then as social creatures and social circles, it then has to encompass your environment as we've said before is that uh an environment that nurtures your your goal and your talents and your direction and encourages it will then see almost uh, you're far more likely to see through the failures and and the uh adversities and the um, obstacles if you're in a position where people are encouraging and you have a circle around you that allows it to happen um you know that's that's got to be a key component there is that Yes, you can have your individual goal, um, but and we kind of touched on this last week when we were sort of discussing how we're going to lay this out, is that um, your environment start to play a huge, a huge part in what you consider achievable and what you even consider possible. And then also if you act on it, what you consider feasible and how long you commit to it and you know whether or not you have supportive friends that say, no, screw it, keep going. Like you're not done. Um, you know, I've got, a, I've got a, one of my closest mates, he's just started his own, um, his own business in, in, in his trade. And, you know, he was you know, always messaging me that he's like, oh, I don't think I can do it. I'm, I'm a bit nervous, um, you know, don't know X and Y. Um, but I've seen his work now and I've seen the clients he's got. And all I, you know, it wasn't that I'm not even taking credit for this any means. It was just that I choose to find the potential in people and help them aim towards it. And it would be far, almost horrible of me to say, yeah, look, throw on the towel, man, maybe just go work for someone else and be miserable. Like that's, that is just an anecdotal opinion or, or sort of evidence of how having supportive people around you, even if they're not in your goal, if they're not, if they're not following the same plan you are, they're not after the same thing you are, they can be pursuing better purpose like you are and they can pursue potential like you are. And in doing so, you begin to become surrounded by people achieving their purpose. And that has to uplift you through 
adversity and obstacles and restrictions and failure enough that you can go, well, if he's doing it, he's had a few hiccups. I'm doing it. I've had a few hiccups. Why can't I keep going? I don't have to throw in the towel yet. You know, Amazon started in X basement and Apple started in X basement or, or garage. Um, there's no way they were worth $70 billion straight off the bat. So I think it's, it's a lot about having enough, enough why and emotional connection to your goal. And I think this is where we start to, I would say me and you start to differ on society's term of smart goals. Um, so I'm not saying me and you differ. I'm saying that we, we differ away from what people consider smart goals um, and why it's just simply not enough to reach extreme, what we individually may uh, define as extreme success or these like high end performance successes in that it's, it's not enough. And when you've then got the, you've got a deep enough or emotional enough connection, you've got a greater, a greatest or a greater purpose. You've got a, a plan laid out and you've got people encouraging that plan. And you've got people that are going to support you through failure, through downturns, through upside downs, through in and outs. Then it becomes far more feasible that you're going to reach it. Uh, me and Dalton had this chat when he was doing his interviews um, on his Instagram page and, you know, we started talking about why I was doing this and that sort of thing. And, and he said, what, what do you think is the largest, what seems to be the, the bigger contributor to um, successful athletes? Is it genetics, epigenetics and, you know, kind of um, like genetic inheritance or is it environment? And I still stand by environment. Like I think environment is such a huge determining factor that the second you, the minute you're able to separate yourself from, and they may sound like friends, they may be great people, they may be the nicest people in the world, but if they're also people that are anchoring you to one position and you want to go to another position and you aren't able to be yourself and achieve and push and cultivate your potential, then it, there's nothing wrong with removing yourself from that environment from now on and putting yourself in a position where you're only surrounded by other people aiming and desiring to achieve more i think that becomes a huge proponent going back to the point that that is what helps develop resilience and get through downturns and and losses or failures is that you have to experience resilience you have to experience it to know you have it but also you have to have people around you that can encourage you to get through it if that sort of wraps it up yeah yeah Totally. And the really interesting thing about environment is that we as humans have the ability to create our own environments, um, which I think is something that's unique about us. So we've, you know, to give a negative example, we've constructed an obesogenic environment and in turn that has had um, physiological effects on us. Um, but also when it comes to creating these environments, we can cultivate them ourselves. So as, as well as seeking out people who are equally driven as you are and using each other to bounce off each other and, and bring each other up we can also cultivate the kind of environment that we seek by being the change that we want to be because if we're saying mm -hmm. that it takes courage to even admit that you've got this you know um, extreme goal that you want to achieve and you face ridicule when, uh, ridicule when you admit that I think it takes vulnerability to be able to say these things and how can we expect other people to want to admit to these things if we don't create the conditions that allow them to do so so by being vulnerable ourselves and saying yeah I've got this like 
huge goal that I want to achieve. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know if it's going to be possible, but I know that I'm going to try and, and um, aim towards that. That then gives someone else the opportunity to be like, oh, same, you know, I've actually got this thing that I've been thinking about. Didn't want to tell anyone because I've been scared. Um, so I think we can seek out these environments and, you know, draw from people that bring us up. But then we can also be the kind of change that we want to be and foster those environments in other people and then I think it will all circle back around so although the environment is important and we can definitely seek it out in other people we can also create our own environment by being the kind of person that we want to be and that will yeah help bring other people up um so I think I feel like we've had a very uh, wide wide ranging conversation on goals goal setting meaning was there anything that you want to say just to to wrap everything up that we've been talking about today um i think um in, in sort of wrapping up what you were saying there is one of my favorite quotes of all time and it gets it's been used in, in a lot of movies and stuff like that but uh it was the a speech given by nelson mandela in his inauguration inauguration speech and it was the the, the speech of our deepest fear and it's like it's used a lot by a lot of people and a lot of quotation sort of situations but one of the favorite parts that i have is that what you just sort of went on there is um there's a section where it says your plane small does not serve the world there's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people don't feel insecure around you and i think that again comes back to philosophy and profound thought is that if you just read that for surface value it's like okay cool like you know that's a, an interesting part but when you read into that and i think about what you're just saying there and that how you know, we, we can be at least the environment that allows other people to maximize their potential as well. It sums it up perfectly that your plane small does not serve the world. There's nothing meaningful or powerful about minimizing your talent, your abilities in fear of, you know, upstaging other people because you're not doing it to upstage people. You're doing it to be the best self you are and reach your best second self and start to show other people. And that can in turn show other people that they have the potential and possibility to be their next self and create that environment and the situation where they are their best self and i think that's that's a a huge thing that people get scared of is that oh, if i step out you know i'm going to be shunned and made fun of but the reality is if you step out you're actually showing other people that they can step out and they can like they can make something too and then that starts to as i think me and you are both trying to do um obviously in our different fields and what may encompass that but in stepping out and changing the curve and allowing other people to step out with it, it's lifting or raising the bar. Um, as I sort of said to you, and I think is a very fitting caption is that you're not just bridging the gap, you're raising the bar. And mm -hmm. I think that that is, is something that comes from being strong enough and confident enough to step out, believing yourself enough that you're going to be successful. And yes, there is a mixture of arrogance to that, but it's, self-belief self-talk self-empowerment has to happen for you to reach that level um and i think once you do that it then shows other people that they can do that and that's that's the that's the thing of sort of separating from the herd as nietzsche talks about so many times and like nietzsche will be a whole other conversation that would take up <laughs> hours and hours but if you look up anything to do with nietzsche from this conversation it is the herd the ubermensch and to sort of understand that you know, we, we look at, it's often the herd and, and the whole that sort of dictate morality and ethics and, and set the guidelines and the barriers and what we're restricted to. But it's the ones that step out that really get to the thoughts. They really start to get to the success and they start to get to the extremes and, and that sort of thing. And I think that's, that's powerful in that 
being able to step away from that encourages other people to do the same thing. And in turn, you know, if you're affecting your direct network or your direct environment, your direct uh, sort of web of, of networking, if one person sees you and you're doing that and they go, well, I can do that. Then one person in their network does that and goes, well, I can do that. And then so on and starts a, a theoretical chain of events where every, at least a good chunk of people start seeing that it's okay to strive and reach. And at the worst case scenario, which I think should be the greatest philosophical thought of everyone here is that if I aim to be my best self and I aim to be as far as the best I possibly can, I set the most insane goal. The worst case scenario is I am better than where I am. I am in a better position. I've developed to a better point. I've grown to be a better human. I've grown to be a better person. I've aimed closer towards my potential. And that, is the thing I think a lot of people lack is that they're, they're scared to say that extreme goal, that high goal. That's why I push it so much is because, you know, I think, and I said this to you last week is the bet, the, the bet should be on setting the highest, most extreme, powerful connecting goal to yourself and start aiming for the lowest hanging fruits and start ticking off the boxes that work towards that goal, as opposed to setting the smallest possible goal that you think is within the social norms and the constructs and confinements of the environment you're in and what people dictate is what should be acceptable. And you start to slightly reach it because yes, you might not be as happy sometimes because, you know, uh, if we're basing happiness on purpose or the feeling on purpose, it's going to be a little bit slower to feel that and and reach achievement or that, uh, uh, that position. But you are living a far more purposeful, meaningful existence than if you aim for a very, 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 very low hanging bar and you actually get to grab onto it. And that's, I think, the big difference in where society is at the moment is that so many people just aim for the low hanging bar and they aim for the lowest possible standard they can set themselves and think that's enough. What if we aim for the highest possible thing that sounds crazy as hell and you start grabbing the bars? Worst case scenario, it's a lot higher than the buy you were going to grab originally. Yeah, exactly that. You're, you're not doing anyone any favours by holding yourself back. And we can set these lofty, extreme goals and not have to worry too much about the fear of failure or at least not let that fear hold us back because we understand that it's not even necessarily about reaching that goal because then what happens once you hit that goal anyway you're just going to set another one right it's never about stopping or getting what you've achieved it's always about the process of doing more and trying more uh, contributing more all of these things so if you can operate with that kind of mindset then I think it gives you the courage to try because it's like well I can't fail if I'm always trying you don't you can't fail yeah. if you don't quit right so what what is there yeah. to lose and if you also yeah. think about it as a duty an obligation to do so what, what other what else do you need you know what else are we yeah. gonna do anyway whilst we're here <laughs> you know yeah yeah you set it as a almost a personal responsibility to be the best possible person you can. And then it becomes almost obliging and a self-ethical respons- issue to then be the best possible you, you can. And it might not be happy at times. It might not be comfortable at times. It might not be safe at times, but it's, it's building it's improving it's developing it's growing it's maximizing your your human potential that has taken a hundred thousand years of evolution to get here and so then we keep progressing the evolutionary chain you you would be the most 
arrogant, egotistical person in the world to think that we are the pinnacle of evolution. We've been evolving for literally 100,000 years or since the single-celled organism was found on Earth and it started to grow and develop and expand. And to think that we are now, after that much time, we've luckily because we're born now in this time frame, this era, in this society, we can go, oh, well, we've maxed out. That is an absurd line of thinking. And the fact that we're just we're getting comfortable is, and Nietzsche talks about this as well, is that his comfortability is limiting development and growth and evolution. And it's like when we stretch and reach outside of comfortability, that's where growth found, that's where potential is found, it's where results are found. And that starts to maximize the potential for who comes next. If we set a higher, a higher starting point for, from A, where we've come from, from who came before us, we take the starting point they've given us and we reach far beyond what we know now and start aiming towards a higher starting point for the next group that comes, then at the worst case scenario, the next group is starting in a better position. And that is what he talks about with the Ubermensch is that your, or the, the Superman is that your, whilst it never may be achievable for you in this lifetime, it should be the duty and the obligation of everyone to come that they start setting the moral and uh, physical and philosophical responsibility to develop and grow for who comes after them. And eventually we may lead to the next evolutionary stage of our species, which becomes the Superman. And that is, I think the most, one of the most powerful philosophical thoughts we can have is that whilst my growth is for me personally, the growth that I aim for and strive for leads to the betterment and growth of people to come after me. Totally, totally. And we are definitely not done. Like how, yeah, totally an absurd <sighs> line of thinking. How can we think that we've achieved everything that we could possibly achieve? We're actually just at the beginning of our infinite potential, really. And as you say, it's totally our duty to continue on with that, even if it's not something that we will see, you know, to be actualized. That's not the point. It's about pushing forward. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really nice wrap up to our conversation today. If people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Um, so Matter Athletica is where I'm doing a lot of my work. It's just starting, but it's, there's going to be a lot to come from there. Um, and obviously there's my person Instagram, just Ben Mayfield Smith. By all means, feel free to message me, send anything through. Um, I have no doubt we'll definitely keep, there's a lot of work between me and you to come that will be, um, profound and enlightening i i hope or i think um for both clients people anyone listening in general um but yeah definitely jump on board and, and follow matter um and yeah follow along and we'll see what we can find out yeah awesome well thank you for the chat today and as you say we'll definitely be doing more things like this anyway i actually cannot wait it was, it's a, like i got excited like finally <laughs> To have to have people like uh, you know this idea that people want to get into your head and, and talk about things that you've kind of been restricted on talking about in the past. I was like, this I can't wait. It's just like let's just pluck it. Let's do it. Oh yeah.